the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Certainly makes sense from a perspective of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, um, if we're in this love relationship with the Lord and he has redeemed us, as we share that good news with others, don't we want to be, uh, don't we want to be articulate about um, what he's done in our life? And how he can change somebody else's life, too? While certainly that's the desire, I think a lot of people, when it comes to the matter of of sharing their faith or evangelism, get nervous. They get nervous because oftentimes we are afraid that somebody is going to ask us a question that we can't give an answer for. Oftentimes this goes to the heart of the question as to whether or not we are ready to give that answer for the hope that lies within. A brand new book out that uh, helps give some insight to some of the bigger questions and uh, appropriate answers to same. Written by Mark Middleberg. The book is called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. And Mark, great to have you on the show tonight. Great to be with you. I have to wonder, we look at some of these questions here, you know, what makes you sure that God exists? How can we trust the Bible? Uh, Wasn't Jesus just a good uh, man and teacher? Uh, Are are very common questions, to be sure. And one would think questions that at the base every Christian would feel comfortable in answering. But obviously, a book like yours suggests that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, I guess we should. But the, the real truth is a lot of us... Uh, grew up with the Christian faith. Our parents taught us as we were young, which is great. But when you're raised kind of on VBS and Sunday school, and this is you know being taught that this is true your whole life, and and if you're mostly around Christians, then later when someone really looks you in the eye and says, "Yeah, but how do you know?" And you know you believe the Bible. It's full of contradictions. It's based on myths. It's you know how can you accept that? Well, a lot of us quite naturally feel intimidated by that because we just haven't prepared ourselves for that. So that's really the spirit of this book is to say, these are the questions we're afraid of. This is based on a national survey we did about a year and a half ago that summer. We asked a thousand Christians, you know, what are the issues that you hope will not come up when you're in a conversation with a non-Christian? And these are the top ten questions that came up. So let's get ready because... If we feel ready, then we're much more 
willing to get into those conversations and much more likely to be used by God. Now, for many years, you served as evangelism director at Willow Creek Community Church there in Chicago. Um, as you spoke with folks that were coming through your program, uh, did there seem to be a commonality um, over intimidation by some of these questions? And I'm wondering how much of that might have gone to, as you suggest, maybe a sense of Christian isolationism where we really don't know the answer to these questions because we've never been asked them. Uh, and then to maybe to a level of just simple biblical illiteracy where a lot of folks are just not that familiar with Scripture enough to feel comfortable in, in, in speaking to some of these questions. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I think, uh, again, I think sometimes as churches we're a lot better at teaching, especially young people, teaching them what to believe but not why it's true. And so a lot of young people grow up learning the creeds, learning Bible verses, uh, being able to kind of parrot back the right answers. But again, I think in the training, and I'm a real advocate even in Sunday school classes, where we say, okay, let's, let's role play here a little. I used to do this when I was a high school Sunday school teacher. I'd say, for the next half hour, I'm going to be a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, or I'm going to be a strong, you know, kind of atheistic evolutionist, and I'm going to challenge your ideas. And, and at first it freaked the kids out, but then they, they really took to it because they, they realized, well, wait a minute, we have answers to these things. And so I think we just need to really force ourselves to think more and get more ready because truth is on our side. We, we don't have to be afraid of these things, but we do, as, as the verse you quoted, First uh, Peter 3.15, we do need to get prepared. There's a couple of issues here at hand, too, I think. I remember a number of years ago, Norman Geisler was on the program, and we spent some time talking about what at the time was an increase in, in how should I phrase this, a, a debate, really, over whether or not it was necessary as a Christian to believe in a, a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ or whether or not that could have been simply a figurative event. And it was amazing to me the number of people that called into our program that night that felt as if, you know, whether or not it was a literal resurrection or a figurative one really didn't matter if at the core, you know, you kind of got the message. And, and it, it was a, a, a very big eye-opener for me in understanding that there oftentimes is a gulf of ignorance uh, between what we believe and even going down to the core of why we believe it. Do you think that's true? I think it's very true, and I've been in Bible studies with all church people, evangelicals, who didn't believe in the Trinity or who thought they believed in it but would articulate it in a, in a way that was actually cultic. And so, again, I, my my mission is not to shame all these people. My mission is to say, we just need to do a little more preparation. Uh, let's be honest, we need to do a lot more preparation. And this, Mark, I, I should hasten to add, is not just simply for the sake of more effective outreach and evangelism, but ultimately for deepening of our own walk with Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it would seem to me um, it would be important for every believer to know why they are sure that God exists. Absolutely. I, I think all of these questions first speak to our own confidence and clarity as Christians, especially, again, young people who are going to go away, you know, go away to the university or college and have their faith challenged. And so we've got to equip them in particular, but really all of us. 
And then the second half is then we're going to be much more able to boldly and confidently and clearly articulate the message and explain to our non-Christian friends how they can know that it's true as well. So very much a double-edged sword cutting both ways, both in terms of being able to deepen our own faith walk and understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ, and then secondarily, once having been equipped with that information, being more effective toward giving that, um, well, as we said earlier, that answer for the hope that lies within. Our conversation today with Mark Middleberg, a look at the questions Christians hope no one will ask. We'll come to some of those questions as our conversation continues right here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Mark Middleberg, my guest tonight. He is a former evangelism director of Willow Creek Community Church. His new book, The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. As you engaged in this survey, Mark, and I think all of these questions that you outline and detailed answers inside the pages of your new book are all vital ones. Which one would you say, though, that tended to come up the most? Well, and by the way, I need to apologize. I'm just getting over laryngitis. Not a, not a problem. I'm operating with half of my voice uh, cut off here. But uh, the the very first question we addressed in the book was one of the top two on the survey, and that is, how do you know God exists? You can't see him, feel him, hear him. You know, he's not a physical being, and yet you're kind of staking your life and eternity on belief in him. Why do you do that? And, you know, I think as Christians, again, a lot of us grew up, knowing God, believing in God, experiencing God, worshiping God. It's just a normal part of what we believe and know to be true. And yet, when someone says it like that, it's very intimidating. And like, well, I don't know how to prove it to someone else. And so I addressed that one very first. That's chapter one in the book, which, by the way, I can give a website later where people can read that first chapter for free. Why don't you do that right now, Mark? Okay, it's it's thequestionswithanswers.com. Thequestionswithanswers.com. Right, and we've got uh, Lee Strobel did the foreword, that's there, and then the introduction, and then this first chapter, which is, you know, how do you know God exists? You can't see, feel, hear, or touch him. Let's, let's address that question. How do we know that God exists? If you can't reach out and physically touch him, and you're talking with someone who says, look, you know, God gets the blame for a lot of stuff. I just don't know that there's any evidence that God actually exists. Yeah. Well, it's a great question. And the first thing I say is don't ignore or discount your experience. Um, as a Christian, I grew up being taught this uh, as I grew up, but... God is very real to me, and uh, I think anyone who's really walking with Jesus is able to talk about, you know, ways he is real to them, ways he has led them, protected them, redirected them, even, even when he convicts us of being in the wrong or of sin. That is God's activity in our lives. So first thing I say is talk about that openly and boldly, because it's real. But... If you just stop there, the average non-Christian is going to go, okay, well, that's experience, but I, you know, I need evidence. Well, I give two scientific arguments and then one that's more, maybe a little more philosophical. But uh, the first thing I talk about in the chapter is the existence of the universe. And I, I'm telling you, this has always been a good argument, but in the last 20, 30 years, science has reinforced this one in a huge way. And the basic argument is this. First of all, whatever begins to exist has a cause. In other words, things don't pop into existence on their own. 
So whatever has a beginning has a cause. Second part of the argument says the universe had a beginning. And the beauty of this, again, is virtually every scientist now believes in some version of the Big Bang theory. That it, you know, at a point, you know, a finite point in time, there was a huge explosion at which everything that we call the universe came out of an infinitesimal point. And scientists believe this. And, and I do too, and I think Genesis 1-1 describes it. But they, they think it's a natural event. I just say it's a, a scientific description of a miracle. And so the universe did have a beginning. But then the third part of the argument is whatever had a beginning has a cause. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe had to have a cause outside of it, a cause that is great enough to produce it, smart enough to produce it, powerful enough to produce it, old enough to be there to produce it, and artistic enough to make it as wonderful as it is. Well, I'm telling you, that's the God of the Bible. And that's, you know, science and philosophy point to this, you know, powerful reality that there is a God that is beyond all of this who created it. One of the other frequent questions that come up is dealing with the issue of the Bible. Of course, typically as Christians, we rely on the Scripture as the source of which we use for good, solid apologetics, as well we should. To the person who says, but wait a minute, the Bible was written by men, it's wrought with all kinds of contradictions and errors and mistakes. How or why should we trust the Bible? Again, a question that is very intimidating to a lot of Christians right up front, because they've always accepted it. And they're often tempted to just say, well, it says right here in Second Timothy that the Bible is inspired, it's the Word of God, it's you know, profitable for correction and teaching, etc., etc. And I agree with that, I agree with that verse, but that's not how you're going to prove it to your non-Christian friends. They're going to say, that's just circular reasoning, you're just using the book I'm questioning to try to prove it. You can't do that. So, what? what first thing I like to do, Craig, is when someone says, you know, it's so full of contradictions, you can't trust it. I just like to look at them and say, you know, contradictions bother me too, but I'm just curious, what are your top two or three? And I'm telling you, it's usually as silent as what we just experienced. Because most people kind of parrot a cliche that they've heard, and that is that the Bible's full of contradictions, and they haven't even looked into it, they haven't read it for themselves, they have no idea and you ask them what are their top two or three contradictions that bother them the most, they don't even have anything to say. And when that happens, which is the majority of the time, I'd like to then say, well, listen, before you start criticizing and writing off the book that has changed the lives of millions, or really billions of people, you owe it to yourself to read it for yourself and look at it, because you're going to find out it is true, and it speaks to your heart, it speaks to your deepest needs. But, now, some people will say, well, you know, there's contradictions there. Uh, you know, some of the Gospels say that there was an angel at the tomb. And then other Gospels say there were two angels at the tomb. And so you can't have, you know, it's either one or two. That's a contradiction. I can't trust a book that, you know, where the guys can't even count angels. When we run into those kind of, and by the way, that's the nature of most of what people call contradictions. And what I point out there, and I, this is what I talk about in the chapter, in the questions Christians hope no one will ask, I explain that the nature of eyewitness testimony is that it's always incomplete. 
Uh, I live in Colorado. I'm looking out my window. I can very honestly say there is a pine tree out there. But, Craig, if you were sitting there, you may look out and say, what do you mean there's a pine tree? There's about a 1,000 pine trees out there. Well, we're both right. See, I didn't say there's only one pine tree. I just mentioned one of the pine trees I'm looking at. And so I gave less than full detail. You said there was a 1,000, and you're right, too. But in reality, there's a lot more than a 1,000 because I live in the middle of the woods. So those are just incomplete levels of information. And so going back to the Bible, one gospel writer mentions an angel. He didn't say there's only one. He just mentioned that there was an angel. Then one of the other writers mentions how many there were. He says there were two. And as one person says, you know, here's a mathematical formula that's helpful. Wherever there's two, there's also one. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's, that's a good perspective. And, you know, the, the other issue here that I think can, can give us all a sense of a sigh of relief, initially you think in a topic like this that it means that we have to get into to deep concentration and study and pull out the thesaurus and the concordances and spend hours on the Internet doing research so that we can memorize all these details and data. But as you heard in those two exemplary um, uh, questions and answers, that it's really fairly basic. It's not that hard or involved if you know where to look and what to share. A look at the questions Christians hope no one will ask with answers. And as Mark mentions, if you'd like to read the first chapter online, you can do so for free. Go to thequestionswithanswers.com. That's thequestionswithanswers.com. And Mark Middleberg, thanks so much for the time. It's a great book and one that's an easy read and yet I believe a very important read for all Christians who want to not just deepen your own understanding and knowledge of the Scripture, but also how to better improve your ability at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you were to take a snapshot or a profile of Americans, certainly I think it can be said that we have a love of our cars, a love of our technology, we love our entertainment, and we certainly love our sports. In fact, in many respects, the love of sports as a pastime seems to be, in many ways, uniquely American. Now, there are sports like soccer, which certainly are international. Baseball seems to be fairly global as to um, perhaps basketball. But football, football is uniquely American. We enjoy our sports because it's a time of diversion, entertainment. It's big business. It's athletic skill, character building, and role modeling. Well, perhaps more accurately put on those last two points, we seem to see less and less of role modeling and character building in professional sports today. And that's a growing concern, especially in a day and an age when so many young people are so yearning to have role models in their lives. Joining me today in studio is Jim Grassy. Jim is the founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst. He is the author of a number of best-selling, award-winning books, born and raised in the Bay Area, and he's got a brand new book out on the topic of football and faith called Guts, Grace, and Glory. And Jim, it's always great to have you with us. It's always a pleasure to be here at KFAX and to see you, Greg. We've 
been around together for many years. We have indeed. Shared microphones before. We have indeed, and a pleasure to do it with you again today on this important topic, and, and one that I think, Jim, is getting more and more attention, this issue of professional sports and what's happening in the arena of professional sports, and sadly, not all of that attention is good attention. Now, most recently, just to quickly address the sort of elephant in the room, has been the protest that began here, as we all know, in San Francisco with the 49ers, Colin Kaepernick protesting some of the issues concerning what's happened in places like Charlottesville and certainly in Ferguson. And and, and to be sure, um, we have a lot to be worked on in the arena of police relations with minority communities, race relations at the broader level. Uh, There's a lot taking place there, too. But that said, there's also, I think, this this looming issue within professional sports that it isn't what it used to be. And by that, I mean anybody that's been around the game for more than a while and knows names like Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle and Johnny Unitas and Babe Ruth and, and Willie Mays can certainly understand that there seems to have been in the last mm, 15, maybe 20 years, a major paradigm shift. It's remained America's favorite pastime, to be sure. But what's happening to the character building, the role modeling within the industry, and maybe there's the operative word, it's become America's industry, seems to say a lot. If it's true, as I said in my opening remarks, Jim, that um, a lot can be said about or learned about America because of our interests and our pastimes, then I was supposed to, when we kind of pull the curtain back on professional ball these days, it says a lot about who we're becoming, and it's not a good reflection. Oh, that's for sure, Craig. And um, as a student of the game and, and a person that has been associated with football from the inside a little bit, I served in the capacity as chaplain for the Raiders for a number of years, for the 49ers for a year, uh, have had uh, deep relationships with another number of NFL coaches and players. Um I say that as background to say this. You you nailed it when you said about 20 years ago because I started this work with uh, my chaplaincy with various uh, sports teams um, just about 25 years ago. And the character I saw trying to be portrayed among players at that time is different than what I see today. I'm still connected at some level with some coaches and some teams. And I occasionally speak to the entire team about this issue of character. In fact, I know it sounds like an oxymoron, and for those listeners that would think that the Oakland Raiders would have a chaplain and character coach, that was my official title given to me by John Gruden when he was coach. But they say I failed at my job. <laughs> but it challenges at least. It's challenges. <laughs> but you know, um, not to put everybody into the same light. Um, within the NFL, uh, all the teams, uh, and I'll speak specifically NFL. They've done uh, the Giants and Colorado Rockies at one time. Um, they have chaplains and they have uh, chapels that the men attend 
And um, there's some real men of great character and faith, the Steve Wisniewski's of the world, the Rich Gannons, uh, people that I had the privilege of getting to know, the Napoleon Kaufmans and folks like that, um, that really want to uh, embrace and um, uh, become those men, those strong men of faith and character. Uh, as role models for their teammates and for the community. But what we remember with the Joe DiMaggio's and Willie Mazes and Johnny Unitas's and all that, there used to be a sense of uh, pride and ownership among the men about being a good role model. And certainly there were the exceptions back in those days, but I have before me a, a, a list that I did for the show of research uh, since 2000, in the NFL, there's been 656 arrests of NFL players. And by team, the worst team, believe it or not, is the Minnesota Vikings with 42 arrests. And all the way down to the St. Louis Rams, uh, now the L.A. Rams, with eight arrests. But the reality is that... Um, you know, people uh, are coming into football with a different mindset and background. Uh, today, uh, my unofficial research in the NFL is of the teams I've spoken to, roughly 70 to 75 percent of the men did not have a father, a biological father in the home when they grew up. And so they did not have a sense of values and stewardship of their gifts and talents that, you know, we, we assumed is common among athletes. So you're really seeing then a breakdown or the results or the impact of the breakdown of the nuclear family. That's right. And sadly, then, you're seeing sports become more and more of a reflection, pro sports, more of a reflection of what's happening in society as right. a whole. And, and so the respect factor, the honor factor, the stewardship factor of what character is, and maybe we want to even define that for our listeners, uh, those things are not a given. And hence, they have a person like myself come in and talk to the men about character and character development, protecting the legacy of the sport, of your name, of your family. Um, I remember I was at a 49er training camp when Coach Mariucci asked me, you know, to speak to the whole team. And obviously, in the role as a, quote, character coach, I have to use be more generic, but I bring in the faith aspect, because to me, you can't deny that. But I had one athlete come up after, and he said, uh, Dr. Grassi, um, what makes you think that I asked to be a role model? And I go, well, man... Uh, you know, he said, I didn't ask for this. And I said, by virtue of what you do, you are a role model. The question isn't whether you're a role model or not. The question is, what kind of role model are you going to be? 
and how do you want to be remembered? What's the legacy you want? And part of the thing I do with the teams during these moments is I have newspaper article after newspaper article of various athletes who've stumbled and failed miserably, shootings, murders, uh, and whatnot. And I bring up these names, and I says these guys, many of them were all pro players, and they're not going to be remembered for their statistics or their their uh, things when you remember Ray Lewis or other players, uh, people that I could name. I mean, there's a host of them. Uh, you immediately go to how the, what they did that they're remembered for. And that's what I try to communicate to these young men that are so impressionable and have the resources and the networks and everything that they can get lost in, in this uh, whole maze of sin. And, and I think there's a broader lesson in there too, Jim, uh, for all of us to say that if you were elected president of the United States, you could argue that, you know, I didn't sign up for the job that says I have to be awoken right. at two o'clock in the morning because some fight has broken out in a country 10,000 miles away that might not even have been interested to the United States. And yet the president of the United States has a responsibility. Every job comes with its responsibilities. And That's some good. we can embrace, like the responsibility of picking up my paycheck every two mm-hmm. weeks and others we say guess what it is just part of the job and and that leads us to i think an important point that i want to come back to after we take a brief time out and that is what seems to also be a major paradigm shift in attitude and that observation you just shared uniquely points to this as to how the players see themselves Today, it could probably be argued that most of them simply see themselves as famous as opposed to intrinsically seeing themselves first and foremost as role models. Let's come back to that point. Jim Grassi is with us today in studio, the founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst. And you can get information, by the way, on the web at mensministrycatalyst.org. That's mensministrycatalyst.org. Jim, as he mentioned, is the former chaplain with the San Francisco 49ers, the Oakland Raiders, authored a number of best-selling books, including his most recent book, Guts, Grace, and Glory. A brief time out back with more as our conversation with Jim Grassy continues here on Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. We are pleased to have with us today in studio Dr. Jim Grassy, founder and president of Men's Ministry Catalyst, author of a number of best-selling books, including his most recent book, Guts, Grace, and Glory. And Jim, we've been drawing some parallels here between what's happening in America today, culturally, socially, morally, and how that in many respects, sports are a reflection on who we are as a people. And if that be the case, what we're seeing in the mirror these days is not all that encouraging. You mentioned some of the greats, Bart Stars, the Johnny Unitases, the Joe Namaths on the baseball side, people like Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, others, that young people of America, and as we were growing up, we looked up to these figures We saw them for not only their incredible prowess on the gridiron or on the diamond, uh, but also for who they were as role models. 
sadly, it seems as if, and, and reason with me, is this true from your perspective, from your vantage point, are more and more of these players today seeing themselves less as role models and more just as famous people? Is that part of the problem? Well, I, I think it even goes beyond that, Craig. I think people, a lot of athletes today, not all of them, but see themselves as entertainers. And, you know, I submit this to you, Craig. If I have a broken leg, would I go to my dentist to ask how to fix my leg? Yeah, probably not a good idea. Or would I go to my plumber or my mechanic to ask how to fix my leg? You see? And yet, uh, people, some people in sports today see that they've been, been given a God-given platform because we know all gifts... All our talents, all our abilities come from God. And they think this platform gives them the right to use that platform to tell me about politics, to tell me about respecting the flag, to tell me about whatever. Now, I look at it this way. If KFAX were to pay me a check uh, monthly for services to do the great job you do, and I just want to do a sidetrack. No one's paid me to say this. I've had the privilege in doing books and radio and television interviews for 20-plus years, and you are the best interviewer I've ever had. Well, thank and you, I, I, I mean that, and I hope the audience all glory is God. appreciative. All they have to do is go outside their universe here, and they would see that you are truly a gifted person that way. But coming back to the topic, the reality is if KFAX are paying me a check, okay, uh, they are not paying me to give my viewpoints on things other than what they're paying me for. Now, can I outside the KFAX radio station give my viewpoints on things? Most definitely. I'm all for free speech. I'm all for unity among the races. I'm all for men standing up for what they believe. I'm all for that. But I do not, I feel it is a disrespectful thing to um, take a platform that was given to you, that you earned, that you worked for, but nevertheless that you have a respect and right to the ownership who's paying you to represent what you do. In this case, it's football. I'm not going to go to a football player and ask him how to fix my broken leg. Okay, and I, and I think that that we're seeing a reaction. I um, just got out of a meeting this morning, talking with a pastor who asked me about this, because because I've done so many uh, books on the subject of football and faith and all this kind of stuff and using football's metaphor. I have literally uh, this binder that is in front of you right now is a stack of emails and. Um, uh, media stuff that's come to me about the question, this very question that we're dealing with right here, and looking for uh, an answer to this profound and, and confusing thing. How can an athlete uh, disrespect our flag and be paid for that? And it's okay with the NFL, according to their most recent position, that they do that. Well, and I think the other thing, even deeper to this, and, and I realize that this tends to hit a, a, a raw nerve and on the broader topic of the challenges that we as a country are facing, 
in terms of racial relations these days, it, it is a raw nerve, and understandably so. I, I mentioned to you off the air a couple of weeks ago, I had dinner with Pam Tebow, that is Tim Tebow's mother. And, of course, a very strong family. Um, both of Tim's parents been involved in the missions field. In fact, uh, Tim was raised in the Philippines when his dad was working there as a missionary. So they are strong, solid evangelical believers. And uh, I asked her opinion on this topic of what do you think about the fact that we're seeing these protests across the country uh, taking a knee and yet when your son took a knee in prayer or in showing gratefulness to God for a victory on the gridiron for the touchdown and scoring that he was absolutely eviscerated in the press Mm -hmm. and was forbidden from uh, doing that action, taking that knee by the NFL. Mm -hmm. And the disingenuousness of all of this, that one is acceptable, but suddenly the other one is not. One seems to be politically correct in this moment in time, and the other one, well, let's face it, um, Christianity is not all that much in fashion anymore in this pluralistic society where more and more it seems that secular humanism is reigning supreme. Yes, and I've had a couple NFL coaches call me and that I correspond with and talk to on a weekly basis because they have uh, members of their team coming up going, Coach, I don't believe in what a couple of players are doing and my dad served or I served and I'm having real difficulty and what what happened it's become a distraction and you know the NFL owners are trying desperately to put this thing behind them but the social media is not allowing them to do it. Well, and part of the problem, I think, here, too, Jim, is the fact that this is this is a valid discussion point. America yeah. should be engaged in this dialogue. Right. But instead of being engaged in the dialogue of what's happening in race relations and, and right. in the relations that minority communities are experiencing with civil authorities, police, so on and so forth, instead of getting that dialogue going, we have half the country that says, uh, let them go ahead and take a knee, and the other half of the country that says, wait a minute, I have a father who served, a grandfather who served, Mm -hmm. I served, others that I know that maybe even died on the battlefield, and they see the national anthem, the the flag, as symbols of who we are as a country and what we should be working toward. I mean, the irony is that we should see those symbols not of something to, um, to act in defiance toward, but rather say, this represents what we should be striving for. Listen, the Declaration of Independence, the phraseology of all men created equal, was done so at a time when slavery was still allowable and still accepted and still legal in this country. Our national viewpoint did not really sync up with the ideals that we establish the nation on. So what do we have to do as a people over the course of the next 100 years? And it's sad it took that long, but over the course of the next 100 years, we had to work toward righting that wrong. And I think seeing the goal that we need to work toward 
is where our focus should be. And sadly, that message has got lost amongst the den of the politicizing of all of this. And and that's my point exactly. Uh, I hope your listeners will know it. First of all, I grew up in East Oakland uh, during the time of the race riots. And yet our ministry works with hundreds of African-American pastors in in the Oakland area trying to help them to reach the men in their community to, to help them because many of these men do not have uh, biological fathers in the home. And uh, I, I believe that's what, that's what bothers me most, Craig, about this whole thing is that this has been a distraction to what could happen off the field. You know, people, we'd all agree that we live in a broken country. You and I are broken. We're not perfect role models every day. You know, we strive to be, but we aren't. We're all broken. But the reality is that with all that's going on in this world today, we need some releases. And you and I would agree that number one release needs to be in Christ Jesus and through his word. But secondly, sports has been a release for people. Watching guys who are very gifted and and very loved uh, do their thing out on the field on Sunday or Saturday or during the week like yesterday with the Warriors, we love that. So now we don't have that as a relief, you might say, and the tensions are building in this country. People are, I've never seen this country more angry, more discouraged, more frustrated, more down and out than it is today. And I'm not saying sports is a cure-all, but let's not take that that uh, area that we used to see as kind of an area where we could relax um, and to now bring up all the the issues going on. I, I'm a firm believer, and I know KFAX is with their upcoming um, seminar on uh, unification. The word is unity. You know, you mentioned our past heritage. Uh, George Washington said this, unity of government is important to the citizens of the United States because unity supports our independence, our peace, safety, prosperity, and liberty and I'm amazed at the number of times as I prepared for this show the number of times the word unity comes up in scripture Paul in numerous letters talks about unity Christ in the great commission what does he talk about he talks about that we should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind all thy soul all thy spirit all our being and then he says but the second thing is equally important to love your neighbor and i think the conversation has to come back how do we love and respect one another as human beings it doesn't matter what our our skin color is it doesn't matter that we should be focusing on the past and our, our breakdowns of the past that we need to focus on our future and what we can do to build a stronger country to be more unified it's interesting to me the word unity it starts with you and i hmm. unity right yes and community from the word unity is in community and so you and i are in community Okay, and the first three letters of community is what command. C O M, come, which is 
translated as command. So it's a command of God through his word that we should be unified unified in spirit and thought and so when we have these distractions that touch on on uh, uh, portions of our heart and spirit that are so um, important uh, because there's been people and and um, our background relative to the flag and all that it's a distraction from where we should be talking indeed so and so sadly then instead of a dialogue about what we need to work on how we need to come together how we need to tear down these walls that divide us and address these very legitimate concerns instead we're debating whether or not it's disrespectful and right we run off suddenly the, the conversation runs off the rails dr jim grassi with us today in studio he is the founder and president of men's ministry catalyst the author of a number of best-selling books his latest guts grace and glory information on the web at men's ministry catalyst.org that's men's ministry catalyst.org a timeout back with more as lifeline continues Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 